Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and that means it's the, the first day of the Christian New Year. So, Happy New Year. Isn't that an interesting, interesting way of looking at it? Isn't it? We're going to be looking at hope during this Advent season and Christmas season, and uh, we've entitled this series, Hope is on the Way. And I'd like to start out by uh, the message, Naming the Hope. And so let's look at Isaiah, who was a prophet of the Old Testament. And Isaiah 7.14, these are the words that we'll base our message on today. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord God, speak to us through your holy word, and may this witness to your word be faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen. How do you go about naming your hope? What do, you, what do you base your hope in life? And, and another way of looking at it is, how do we define hope? Well, hope is defined in different ways, as you can imagine. And in this world, we, we see at least two different ways that people use the word hope. Number one, it's a desire for future good fortune. I'm thinking of my, my son, Levi, and as he drives from here to Quincy and back and forth, I, I, I may some, say something like, I hope Levi draw, drives safely so that he will get home okay. I hope that he will drive safely so that he will get home uh, safely. Secondly, there's this intellectual reasoning that we have. It's, a, it's if <coughs> it, it says uh, to the basis of our intellect, we hope that this will happen. Um, if, the, if the roads keep from icing over, then we should be able to arrive on time. We hope that we will arrive on time. You see how you're taking an intellectual assumption that if the roads don't get too slippery, then we hope to arrive on time. Now, those are ways that we usually talk about hope in this world. They, they imply uncertainty or the lack of assurance. But there is at least a third kind of hope that is the biblical understanding of hope. It's different. The biblical understanding of hope demonstrates not only desire, but also demonstrates a confidence in what will happen in the future. The difference between these two ways of looking at hope and the biblical way of seeing hope is like the first two say is, I hope help is coming. I hope help is coming. The second in the biblical view is hope is saying help is on the way. Hope is saying help is on the way. You see what we did there when we, we titled this, Help is on the way, or Hope is on the way. 
This is seen in the Advent story. During these four weeks of, of Advent leading up to Christmas, we talk a lot about the Old Testament prophecy. Prophecy of hope is, is about to be revealed, is what the message is. It's clear. Help is on the way. And we see this in different, uh, different ways. Uh, obviously, the, 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 the one way is, is with the Luke story, and you can find it on 1025. Incidentally, there are two Gospels that tell the Nativity story. There is Luke, and then there's Matthew, and they're, they're, they kind of reflect different aspects of it. If, if you were to turn to Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, you would learn about Mary Little Mary, probably around 13, 14 years old at this time, she gets a vision, a visit from the messenger of God, Angel Gabriel. And his message to her is, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled by these words and wondered what kind of, what, what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are uh, to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Being who she was, a young teenager, she says, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel goes on and explains, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then goes on to say, Elizabeth, your, your relative, even she is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And if you read on in the story, you'll see that, that Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and stays with her for about six months until the baby is born. At least that's what I asked. Why would she leave right before the baby would be born? Isn't that, a, isn't that a special story? Isn't it just a wonderful story? Delightful. How God works in, in uh, creating this, this revelation of prophecy from the Old Testament that, that uh, a virgin will give a birth to, to a son and, and will be called Emmanuel. There's one thing that's left out of Luke. His name is Joseph. Joseph, the fiancé, the one who is engaged to Mary. What in the world is he supposed to do? This is hope shattered. His, his dream of, of having his, uh, his uh, lovely bride to become his wife. And all of a sudden, imagine the change. When Mary says to Joseph, we've got to talk. You see it? Joseph's story is told in Matthew. 
It starts out in Matthew 1, verse 18 and following. It says, this is how the birth of uh, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Devastated. Joseph, by the Old Testament, could do one of three things. Number one, he could have her stoned, kill her for her unfaithfulness. How could he do that if he was just engaged? Well, back then the engagement was a legal binding contract between a man and a woman that could not be broken unless through a divorce. Even though they weren't fully married, even though they were separated until the marriage day, they still were considered, in the eyes of the law, bound together in that engagement. And so a divorce would be needed. One would be to have her stoned. The second is to, is to drag her in front of the city officials in, the, in a public place and publicly disgrace her to where she would probably be cast out of society. But he finds a third way. Notice, notice what it says. It says a lot about Joseph, that he, he wanted to keep the law. He was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then as you read on, you can see that uh, after he had decided this, that this is what he was going to do, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. But then look what happens right after that. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what God had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, do you know, God with us, God with us. And so Joseph woke up and did what the angel of the Lord told him to do, and he married, or, uh, he took uh, Mary home as his wife, but they did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word meaning God with us and expresses the wonder of the incarnation that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You remember from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the birth of Emmanuel to the Virgin Mary. But it was a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 
chapter 7, verse 14, from 700 years before that. And it was part of Isaiah's prophecy that uh, dealt with Ahaz, a wicked, a wicked king who ignored Isaiah's advice and sought other ways to correct a political crisis. It was spiritual crisis as well. You know, have you ever known of another time where it seems to be an upheaval of spiritual and political culture? How about today? How about today? But the message of Emmanuel was not forgotten those 700 years before. It became a prophecy of what would surely come. The Messiah would come. If you were to turn to to 1140, you would see words of of, uh, Paul who explained this in Romans chapter 15. And in Romans chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, we... uh, we have, have these words. He's, he's quoting different uh, pieces of Scripture. He's talking about how, how the Gentiles have an opportunity to be a part of this God with us. And when you get to verse 12, he says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David, the root of Jesse will spring up, one will arise to rule over the nations, In him, the Gentiles will hope. Will hope. And then he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There it is. The God of hope will fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? There's an assurance there that this will happen. Matthew's use of this verse was extraordinarily appropriate in light of Mary's unique virginity and the incarnation of Jesus who was God in human flesh. Now, the biblical understanding of hope demonstrates not only a desire, but it also demonstrates the confidence in what will happen in the future. All the way through the Bible, you will see this. All the way. Well, maybe there's that one point. That one point called the crucifixion. When Jesus had died on the cross. Imagine what that did to the followers of Jesus. One of the stories is from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. It's called the the road to Emmaus. And there are two disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem after the crucifixion and and the rumors of the resurrection. And a a fellow journeyman joined them. 
They didn't recognize it, but it was the resurrected Jesus. And, and they, uh, they, they heard him ask a question. What, 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 are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they, the two stood there with their faces downcast. And in Luke 24, 18, it says, One of them named Cleopas says, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. Chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And then there's this statement in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to that was going to redeem Israel. Maybe that was the one time in the Bible that we see hope lost. But we had hoped that he would be the one. And it's then that Jesus begins to show them from Scripture that this was to take place, and later he would be revealed to them as the resurrected Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. That's the naming of our hope as disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't forget that. You'll remember that at the end of Matthew, if you were to turn to Matthew 28 and you would look at the, the, the final words, there's the Great Commission that we, we talk about where Jesus tells them to go into all the world and to make disciples. But then the very last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew is an affirmation of Emmanuel, God with us. It's when Jesus says to his followers, and he says to us today, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. There you have it. Emmanuel, God with us. That is our hope. And that's what we plan to focus on during this Advent and Christmas season. But right now, let us prepare our hearts and minds for Holy, for, for Holy Communion.